Hey guys, welcome back, and this is Unleashed, and remember, we are the Resistance, and it is so good to have you guys back with us in this beginning of March. I cannot believe how quickly time has been passing. We are already into the uh, the month of March. Let's see, we just got past Valentine's Day, President's Day, and we've got, what is it, St. Patty's Day, I think, is coming up. Typically, I would be asking Eric this question, but Eric is not here today because... We are doing the recorded at-home version today. Uh, my wife, Stacy is going in for some surgery tomorrow, and I will be um, in Indianapolis at the hospital with her all day tomorrow. So if you would, please keep her in your prayers. Um, we've got to get up about 4 o'clock and be in Indianapolis at the hospital by 6, and hopefully we'll be back by maybe 6 tomorrow night if all goes well. So again, keep her in your prayers. Uh, that's a big deal. Well, man... Um, this is so strange, being here at home and not having someone to be looking at. I'm actually looking at two dead bears. They're, they're bear rugs that I had brought up I was going to put on my wall up here, and I've got them both like laid side by side. So we're kind of the, the bear brotherhood uh, here today. And since I shoot for bear archery, there you go. There's a great intro for that. But hey, I wanted to start off, uh, you know, I had a, a question come in today, and I don't think I want to answer it right off the bat. I think I will I get into this a little bit later. But it wasn't like a hunting question that the, the first one that came in, and, and I try to take any question that comes in, no matter how difficult you know, they can be. But the first one that came in, it said, I just found out that um, my child is gay and I'm not sure what to do. Wow. Wow. What do you do when, when, when you find something like that? I mean, it's obvious this is pretty raw in this man's life. And, you know, I could, I could give you a really quick answer with that. Um, which, you know, how, how does Jesus treat things like that in Scripture? But we'll, we'll go into that a little bit later um, and kind of maybe process a little bit of, you know, what do we do when things don't look the way that we want them to look or we think they should look? How do we handle that? How do we work through it? And I think there's some great answers in Scripture on that. So just kind of hang tight with me. But first, um, we're going to go to one of my favorite places. I, it's been a while since I've talked about Alaska, but I absolutely love this place. Um I want to tell you a little story. I was on the uh, on the Kenai. I was uh, on the peninsula up there. I was doing some salmon fishing, and we had we had gotten our bait and tackle. I think somewhere near a place called Cooper's Landing, and we had driven downstream a ways, and we pu we pulled over, found a place to uh, to be able to uh, park, which isn't the easiest thing in the world sometimes along that road. But as we were making our way down through the, uh, the the woods in the path going down to the water's edge, trying to find a place where hopefully there wasn't going to be a bunch of other hunters around, it had been raining. That's the thing about Alaska. It's, it's either about to rain, it's raining, or it just finished raining. And as I was walking down this path, and there were some ferns and things kind of growing over, I noticed some of these ferns being like smashed. And I looked down, and there, in the mud, the size of dinner plates were brown bear tracks. Now, I knew that there were there were bears in the area. There always are up, up in this area because when you got salmon, you got bears. And I had seen some black bear tracks, but this, this was the first massive brown bear track I had seen on this trip. And so as I was, I was walking down that path, here's the thing about like brown bears in, in, in places like, you know, Alaska, where you know that they can get really big. You're either going to be filled with anxiety and turn around and go back the other way, or it's going to give you this boost of adrenaline like, Man, this is the real deal. This is like Jurassic Park, you know. And there's something it's it's a little bit exciting when you're kind of having to look over your shoulder a little bit. Um, you know, in the lower 48, don't have to do that much. Sometimes maybe uh, you know, with a mountain lion or something if you're out, 
you know, hunting in the, in the West, um, in the Rockies. But this is a little bit different. When you've got an animal, you know, that can be, you know, a little over a thousand pounds and they can get over 10 feet tall. Um, they're just massive. It, it just puts you on edge. And so as I'm going down to the water's edge, I saw a couple other fishermen down there. And as I'm walking up, I had to go down over this little embankment. And as I'm getting set up, I see this guy to my right, and he was putting the last salmon on a stringer he had just caught. He had limited out. I think it was three, whatever it was, silvers. And so he throws those up over the embankment and gets back down toward the, the water to go ahead and pack up his tackle box stuff. And what neither one of us had noticed, a black bear with two cubs wasn't that far off, had smelled the salmon. And this sow comes in to go ahead and grab these salmon. She's going to go back and feed her cubs. Well, this guy wasn't having any of it. And he starts yelling at the bear. And as the bear takes the stringer of salmon to take off running with it, he grabs his salmon rod, jumps up on the embankment, and starts chasing after him. And he's trying to whack this, this bear on the backside. And I'm yelling at this guy. I'm like, dude, you know, you're, you're going to get in some big trouble. He says, I worked hard for those salmon. I said, that, that black bear, she's got cubs with her. You need, to, you need to back off. Well, what neither one of us saw coming was there was a brown bear that had been kind of smelling everything, hearing things, and he was moving through the woods somewhere behind us. He just comes blowing out of the brush. And it treed the one sow, uh, the, the black bear sow, and one of the cubs, but before the second cub uh, could get up into a tree, the brown bear just, just hammered it. You know, And unfortunately, um, you know, it couldn't get up the tree in time. And the brown bear mauled it to death. But that's an example of how things can go south really quick when we make poor decisions. And there's no doubt that guy made a really bad decision. He's lucky uh, that he wasn't mauled by that brown bear. But Alaska is known, you know, for its ginormous bears. And if you've watched, you know, Animal Planet or any of these shows, uh, I'm sure you've seen them. And they're known for their king salmon. You know, they're just massive. But the other thing Alaska is really known for is, you know, it's volcanoes. And people know about like the big four, you know, that are along Cook Inlet. But Alaska actually has 130 volcanoes, which is crazy. And here's the thing. It's got over 1,000 earthquakes every single month. Not like over the span of its existence, but over 1,000 every single month. We usually don't hear about them, you know, unless they're, you know, over seven, you know, magnitude or something. But... See, earthquakes happen when um, there's pressure below the surface of the earth that is a, it comes from a shift in the tectonic plates that's down below the surface where we can't see. And the same thing happens in our minds when there's a shift in our thinking and we don't take the time to think through what we're thinking. You know, and as a result, bad things happen. That shift happens, pressure happens, and things begin to move and usually not in a really good way unless we can take care of the issue. So, um, well, and, and the other thing that, that you've got in Alaska, of course, is tsunamis. You get earthquakes, you get these tsunamis that can get massive. Um, but those unhealthy thoughts that we can have can cause a tsunami of unhealthy emotions. And it's going to destroy us um, and the other people that we love around us if we don't re renew our mind with God's truth and his promises. You know, I, that's one of the things I always try to do is go back and go, where has God promised me these things in my life? And where has he kept his promises? Well, the truth is he always has. He's never promised that I will get all my wants, but he has promised me he will meet all my needs. And he, he always has. So I, I began to kind of uh, look up um, these different tsunamis and earthquakes and volcanoes in Alaska. 
and I came across uh, a tsunami that happened in a place, it's called Latoya Bay, and it happened on July 9th in 1958, and it was one of the craziest um, events ever recorded in history, and this massive tsunami, it washed across this bay. The bay was only like two miles wide. I think it was seven miles long. And it wiped out everything in its path. Now get this. At the peak of the tsunami, the wave stretched, you know, not 100 feet high. You might think, well, that's a big one, you know, or 400 feet. Like, whoa, how did it ever get that big? You know, that's like something in movies. This thing at its peak stretched 1,720 feet toward the sky. That's that's 250 feet higher than the Empire State Building. That's crazy. And when they went back and the researchers went up and they were looking at the forest floor to, to measure how high this thing was, they actually found entire forests were annihilated in its wake. Just, just cut the trees off right at the bases. And the land was stripped of its soil down to the sheer bedrock. I mean, it was just really unimaginable that something could be that big. So this... Um, tsunami in, in Latoya Bay, like I said, it's a, it's about a two mile wide, um, fjord that's, that's going back. It kind of, you know, moves back toward the mountainside where you had this massive rock face. And what ended up happening was when there was a shift in the tectonic plates, which caused the earthquake, it caused a, a, um, a drastic shift and it tilted the entire, uh, Latoya Bay toward the ocean. And so along with the weakening rock mountainsides and a, and a combination of these seismic waves that were happening, this landslide gets triggered that collapses into the fjord, generating this mega tsunami. And it was the highest one ever recorded anywhere um, in the world, and as far as they know, ever, ever in recorded history. But there's all kinds of stuff um, that'll eat your lunch on the count of one in Alaska, especially if you're not paying attention. Um, you know, if you walk the, the base of the mountains, maybe after the spring melt and stuff, when it's safe to be walking along there, you'll find these, these avalanche chutes. Um, and at the base of these things, you'll find out where there were some animals that were on these, the, in these chutes up in the mountains when avalanches would happen, which would just pull them down to the bottom, bury them. And then when they begin to melt, you'll find, you know, different, whether they're, they're sheep horns or um, maybe the remains of a moose or whatever. But that's how powerful these avalanche shoots. When there gets to be so much weight and all this stuff built up, it, it just shifts. And our thoughts can mimic these, these avalanche shoots. And just like the tsunamis, the same thing, um, you know, in our, in our personal lives. I was uh, sitting down to do some coaching with a guy a couple of years ago. And he was, he was having a, a serious uh, shift in his thinking. He was really struggling. He says, man, I got to meet with you. So we, we went, we sat down at a Panera one day and I said, tell me what's going on. And he said, you know, I've got all these, these things happening around me and I'm just, I'm just totally overwhelmed. And as he began to tell me these things, I was listening to the lens, the lens that, that he was seeing it through. And then I also, as I'm writing things down, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, is this a, a truth lens or is he looking through a lie lens? Are there lies mixed in with how he's seeing things? And so as we began to go through this, his conversation kind of went like this. Um, you know, I got to get up at 5.30 in the morning uh, to get my daughter up. Um, you know, then I've got I've to cook her breakfast. And then I got to take her to school. And then as soon as school's over, I got to pick her up and I have to take her to a doctor's appointment. Um, then I got to cook supper for her. And then it's going to be cold tonight. It was in the wintertime. He said, I got to load the wood burner up. 
And he says, I'm just, I'm just absolutely emotionally just worn out from all this, this stuff. And I said, that's, that's a lot. I said, you know, I, I understand. I said, I think most of us who have reached adulthood and, you know, have a home or have kids or, um, hopefully we have medical, uh, you know, attention we can get to, we can understand the pressures and all that, but wait, but I said, let me ask you a question. I wrote down what he had said. And I turned the notebook back toward him where it said, you know, I have to get my daughter up, get her breakfast, take her to school, all those things he just said. And I said, rather than saying, I have to, I want you to come back and I want you to say, I get to. Rather than saying, I have to take her to school, I have to take her to the, do- the, the, yeah, the doctor. And he kind of looked at me and I said, well, let me just kind of give you an example. You started off with, you know, I have to get my daughter up. And I said, wow, you have a daughter? I mean, you're blessed. There's a lot of people that would love to have children. You said, I have to get her breakfast. I said, wow, you have food and you actually have a home? You're really blessed. He said, you know, I had to take her to school. And I said, well, then I'm, I'm guessing you have a car. And that's, that's a blessing. And I said, and she has an education? That's awesome. And then she's got medical care? So you get to take her to the daughter because you've been blessed with medical care? And uh, you get to cook her supper. You get to load the wood burn, which means you've got heat. And he began to look at me. And I, and I probably didn't say it the way I'm saying it to you right now. I'm trying to kind of get through this. But after having him change all those things from I have to to I get to, you would be shocked at how quickly um, his mood and his emotions changed. Why? Because he was taking the lie that he was buying into, which is I have to. And if that's your mindset, you're always going to be filled with anxiety or anger or whatever it is. But when you can look through the eyes of, of being gracious and thankful, it turns into instead of I have to, wow, to I get to, or maybe even I'm blessed to. So you can see you have to renew your mind. Um, in, in, in any situation where you're starting to feel overwhelmed or anxiety or fear or, fear or shame or whatever, because um, nothing good's going to happen if you allow that, just like a tsunami, to just keep on moving or that avalanche to just keep on pushing this stuff on top of you. You have to be able to stop that stuff in its tracks before like a snowball. There you go, rolling down a hill, getting bigger and bigger. You know, we're so quick to speak without really thinking through what we're thinking, which is exactly what the enemy wants you to do because you're not taking time to stop and look at it through the lens of truth, but rather you're looking at it through um, the lies of, or, or the, the, uh, the lens of, of lies. So um, let, me, let me go back for a second to that question about the man who sent in the question about me, um, you know, finding out that his daughter was gay and he wasn't sure what to do about it. Um, so I, I, I got into this. I actually talked to this guy. Because it wasn't something I wasn't going to put him on here. He wasn't comfortable with coming on here. But I, I said, tell me about your childhood. And he said, you know, my, my father was, was a very, very conservative um, man who was in ministry. And, and this man is too. And he said, my father, you know, grew up with us kids using a lot of fear and shame and condemnation to parent us. And he says, and I, I did the same thing when I found out about her sexuality. He says, I just flipped. He says, I, I shamed her for it. I, you know, I, I told her, he says, I'm so embarrassed to say this, but I told her how much you know, of a disappointment that she must be to God. Um, I kicked her out of the house. And he says, and I actually banned she and her girlfriend from stepping foot on my property. 
And I just, my, my heart was breaking um, for both of them in this moment. And, you know, after this guy I, I called me uh, and told me this, this real mess and asked me what he should do, I said, would you do me a favor? I said, I want you to go back and I want you to read out of the, the message paraphrase. Again, many times I use that when I'm working with someone just because it's, it's so simple sometimes in plain language to understand. I want you to go back and I said, I want you to read Romans 14. And I had him read this out loud to me um, because sometimes it's different than when you're just reading it and taking it in. But when you say it out loud to someone else, sometimes it has a lot more impact. So here's what he he read out loud. And this was this would be Romans 14, 1 through 4. And it starts off with, um, welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they say or do something that you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. And we kind of pause, we kind of talk through that just a little bit. You know, he says, you know, that's difficult for me to remember, you know, my daughter's history, maybe while why she's believing this way or, or whatever. He said, but when I can go back and remember the things about my childhood, I know why I used shame and guilt and condemnation, um, because it's exactly what was done to me. And I'm passing that same stuff on. I said, keep reading, keep reading. So he went on to the next verse. It says, for instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he could eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell uh, to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? And then it says, God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? And then here's this, the kicker at the end. It says, if there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. I mean, I, I'm sitting here thinking right now as I'm reading that, and I, my mind was kind of racing as I was reading that about, um, oh, it was a, I'm trying to think of the, it was a Gary Keller, um, or was it Tim Keller? It was Tim Keller, a book he had written. It was called, I think it was called The Prodigal God, where he's talking about, you know, you've got the one son who runs away and, and does all this stuff that, that um, went against the way that he was taught or the family believed. And then you had the older son who was keeping all the rules and doing everything the way that they, they were taught to believe. And then you have the, the, the son who is the disobedient one comes home and the father runs to him, throws a party for him, all this stuff. And he invites both sons to come to the party. Well, the older son who kept all the rules didn't want to come because he didn't think it was fair. It's not right that the one who took the inheritance, who went and did all this stuff, you're throwing a party for, for him, and yet I am here and did everything you've asked me to do in the way you've asked me to do it. Why would you invite you know, him to the party? I'm the one, that really, that should be having the party here. And the story is really not about the prodigal son who comes home, and it's not about the older son who did all the things that, well, I don't want to say he did everything right. He was obedient, okay? It's about the father who invited them both to the party. No matter what good or bad they had done, no matter whatever in their, their past belief system shaped them to go and do what they were doing, he knew their stories, both of them. 
and yet he invites them both to the party. What a beautiful story when, when, you, when you think about that. So I'm not, I want to say, I'm not trying to justify his daughter's lifestyle, um, but that's something that she has to work out with God. And I am definitely not justifying this man's behavior in how he used fear and shame and condemnation to try to get her to change. You know, the only one that we can change is us. And that's through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the same goes for others that don't see things the way that we do. So when you, when you think about um, working through issues, I immediately think about cognitive therapy, which says that your thoughts create your emotions and your emotions create your actions. And then you have Christian convergence therapy that says, it's my belief system that shapes how I think, um, how I feel and how I act. But if you dig a little bit deeper with that, I was just kind of thinking about this the other day. It's the experiences that we have growing up in those formative years that actually shape our belief systems, which will then shape how we think, feel, and act. I love that last line in Romans 14, 4, but I also kind of hate it at times where it says, if there's corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. The reason I hate it is because I know me, and sometimes I want to control what others believe because I want them to, to believe or see things how I do. And I want to control maybe sometimes when the revelation is going to happen for them. Why do I want to do that? Because maybe sometimes I feel like the Savior, if I can change their mind, or if they see things the way that I do, the way that I think is right, or the way that the Bible says is right. Um, I'm not negating what the Bible says to be truth. I, I absolutely believe that. But the process of getting to really believing that, when we've experienced so many things, you can't make someone believe something just because you believe or you say that it's true, or you try to force somebody with that. You have to build a relationship with trust with that person, so then you can begin to ask questions. And you want to ask the questions without an agenda, because they're going to see right through your agenda that you're trying to fix them. So how does revelation happen? It happens when God reveals something to us. And when does God cause revelation to happen? It happens when he knows that we are ready to hear it. You see, using fear, shame, and judgment, it only drives the other person farther away, and it makes it more difficult for them to hear our heart for them and the heart that God has for them. You know, I believe this man wanted to please God, uh, was standing up for what he thought was right, but here's the truth. You cannot please God if you don't trust God. The thing that I was hearing here is that he wasn't trusting God's timing or that God was going to be fast enough. So what he was doing was trying to manipulate his daughter into thinking and acting how he wanted her to act rather than trusting that God has a plan for her life. So, you know, after further conversation, more truth came out about why he was using those scare tactics. And he said, you know, I'm really thinking, you know, what are others going to think about me knowing that I'm in ministry when they find out that my daughter's gay? And I sat there for a second and I was really careful to hold my tongue, but he just vomited the truth of actually what was happening inside of him. He just showed the underbelly of an unhealthy belief system. He was more worried about how others were going to view him or judge him rather than how much he cared for his daughter. So you're probably asking, like I said at the beginning, you know, how did it end up when he asked me what um, he should do? 
And I said, here's what I really want you to do. And I actually just did this on a recent podcast. I said, I want you to go back and I want you to read Ephesians, um, again, out of the, the MSG paraphrase. I want you to go back and read Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. I, I know I read this recently on the podcast, but I think it's important to hear this again right now. It says, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And then we're instructed to love like that. It was this guy's own unhealthiness that was driving a wedge between the relationship with his daughter. You know, we either trust God with ourselves and others, or we will try to take everything we're worried about and try to control it in our timing and with the results that we want. And if that's what you've been doing, let me ask you a question. How's that working for you? Is using shame and judgment and shunning or gossiping, is it working in the in the, the relationship that you have right now that you're struggling with with someone else where you feel like they're doing something wrong that isn't right. And you might be saying, I, I want the best for them. And that's why I want to say this. Okay. I, I agree with that. I, I do believe you want the best for them, but using shaming, shunning, judging, all that stuff. I don't know of anyone who's truly been changed by that. It's loving them with the love of Christ. And whatever that truth is biblically that God has put out there that he wants them to know, you know, if there's if there's corrections to be made or manners to be learned, like Romans 14, 4 says, he will do that. He doesn't need our help. What do we do? Well, I, I sometimes think about, if you think about the uh, a life that wouldn't be godly being like a crooked stick, and the life that would be godly would be like a straight stick, the straight stick doesn't have to point out to the crooked stick how many bends it has in it. All the straight stick has to do is lay itself down next to the crooked stick. And the revelation happens to the other one. Living that life the way that God loved us, watch what he does, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. And I love the way Jesus, in so many instances, where somebody was, was living in sin, he would come to them and meet their needs and speak into their life. He met their needs first. He needed to be able to have them understand, I love you. And I love it when he promises to never leave us or forsake us, that he he, he promises to, to cast our sin as far as the east is from the west, to remember it no more, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I saw someone make this post the other day, and it was about God convicting us of our sin. And you're thinking, as a believer, if he's taken my sins and he's cast them as far as the east is from the west, is he holding my, my, my current sins against me? Or has he gotten rid of those once for all, as Scripture says? That was a powerful thing. It really made me sit back and, and think about this. You know, like when, when we say to God, Lord, I'm so sorry. As a believer, now I'm talking about, I'm so sorry for my sin. And what does God say? He says, what sin? You know, what if repentance wasn't a gift from us to God, but repentance was a gift from God to us? 
He's forgiven us for our sins. That's why he sent Jesus for all of our sins. But a repentant heart is a gift because now we have a teachable spirit. We have a graciousness. We have an understanding and a thankfulness for the price that, that, that Jesus paid for our sins. Man, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, you know, and sometimes we say, well, I'm, I'm grieving over someone's um, uh, lifestyle choices or whatever it is. I, I just want to say this. God loves us all, no matter where we are, and he has a plan for our life, and he will be the one who will lead us to where he wants us to be in his timing when revelation happens. But grief in itself is not unhealthy. But grief can create unhealthy thinking, you know, feeling and actions, like we just heard this man did with his daughter. Um, you know, just this week, uh, my daughter was 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 back home, and un- it was an unfortunate trip. She came back. Um, we had to have our, our uh, family pet, uh, Jimmy the cat. Uh, he had to be put down. He was over 20 years old. He had everything, you know, going on with his body that could possibly be going wrong. You know, he's over 20 years old. And both my kids were able to be there, um, you know, when the when we took Jimmy to the vet. And, you know, we all said our goodbyes. But my thoughts, now I'm bringing this back to my thoughts, weren't just grieving. Um, after watching my kids struggle, you know, in that veterinary room when they were putting, you know, Jimmy down, and I, I was watching all the tears, you know, that were happening, and I was having my own, I was beginning to feel guilt that, I was the one who called the vet, right? And I was the one that made the appointment. And so I began to feel all this guilt. And I don't know that it was, I didn't want to say, because sometimes, you know, guilt can be healthy because God wants us to feel guilty when we're guilty. He doesn't want you feeling shame and condemnation. That's a totally different thing. But I was feeling anxiety, worry, shame, and I was feeling this fear um, that they were going to hold his death against me. And had I not talked about it with them beforehand and, and afterwards, I'd still be carrying those unhealthy feelings and my grieving process would have been drug out even longer. See, you can't get around grieving. You're going to grieve. Grief is healthy. But when it causes unhealthy thoughts, emotions, and actions, then you have to untangle what's going on. But, you know, fortunately, we were able to, to process that with each other and nothing could have been further from the truth the way that they were seeing it. They understood. But you see, the enemy doesn't want us to process with others because guess what happens when we do talk about stuff? rather than using shunning, shaming, judging, whatever, revelation happens. And God made us for relationships. And there is nothing that we can't take to the Father that we're questioning or struggling with. There's nothing too big for Him. And God calls us to love like that. But we can't do that until we face our own um, sin, when we face our own unbelief, when we face our own performance and trying to be like the good son, and then we think that we're better than the, you know, the son who, who ran off and came home. What I want to do is I want to encourage you guys to look at those places in your lives right now where the emotional avalanches are happening, and they're not going to be pretty. This is not a pretty episode. It was a difficult subject. And I want you to find a safe place so that your mind doesn't become a pressure cooker with nowhere to let out what's really happening inside. So, First, I want you to take it to your Heavenly Father. And I want you to take it to Him and say, God, I don't know what to do with this. But I know I'm called to love like you. So give me the strength, um, the honesty, and the vulnerability to be able to have these, these difficult discussions. 
And then I want you to think about, you know, James 1 tells us, it says, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. It says he loves to help. You'll get his help and you won't be condescended to when you ask for it. And then it says, ask boldly, believing without a second thought. He loves to help. I love that. You don't need to carry all the emotional weight yourself. It's time to get rid of the have-tos in your life and renew your mind with the I get-tos. And remember, if there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. How beautiful is that? We'll see you next time.